Hey, it's me, Sam. This is my podcast. Thanks for listening. Today's Friday, and I'm off work again, and that is always a good thing. And I'm here today. Listen, y'all, it's a really exciting day. I started recording, what was it, about a little over two months ago, and I started to realize back um, when my one guest was talking about pelvic exams that um, I probably needed to branch out a little bit and start having, maybe considering having a male guest to kind of broaden my listener. Uh, uh, I got, I'm, I'm kind of getting myself boxed into this 30 to 40 year old female category. And so today is the day. Today's the day. I have Dan here with me and he is, um, look, I'm going to just, we're going to do, um, he is Katie's husband a couple episodes back. And so he's probably going to embarrass her, and that's okay. She's going to handle it. She's going to work through it. No, he's great. And he's going to share with us on some really um, interesting topics that I think are just applicable to male and female and just really good information, especially, hopefully, it might just be my brother. Like, you might just be helping out my brother because I don't know. I know he listens to it. I don't know if any other guys do, but um, so... Here's Dan's, here's the backstory as far as what I know about Dan. I remember I got a save the date. I think it's still on my refrigerator. (laughs) There was a magnet for their wedding that came in the mail. And I know I had, Katie called me when she got engaged. And I I remember exactly, like I was pulling down my driveway and I was getting my mail. And she called and told me she'd gotten engaged. I was so happy for her. And then I was also new. You know how I knew that you were the right guy? Because of the ring. Nice. (laughs) I knew. I knew it. Because I'm like, she's not a diamond girl. I just knew it. And so when she told me... What the ring was, I was like, yeah, that's that's good. Funny funny story on that. Ruby is actually uh, my birthstone, too. So oh, is that it really? was perfect. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's a really beautiful ring. But um, And then I got to save the day. And just at that time, which I which I, I talked to Katie about it. I don't know if she ever passed on a damn. But at that time in my life with my second husband, it was just not feasible. Their wedding was in D.C.-ish yep, area. Yeah, and so it was just not a feasible um, time for me to be able to travel and go to a wedding, and I hated missing it. But I really, I just told him a second before we started recording, I'm like, Dan, I don't know you. So, like, you're just going to have to take over this introduction because, um, I mean, I know that I see my friend. I see her. She is a brilliant person and and just a really intricate, um, just just a good person, but just really smart, super smart. So I know that I see her and I see her happy and I see him with their daughters. They have two daughters. Like Katie mentioned, I think during her episode, they have two little girls and I see him with his daughters. So I approve. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) That's important. Not that it matters. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure there's a line in a song about something. If you want to get with me, you got to get with my friends, something like that. So little Spice Girls reference there. Yeah, so I mean, I see that, and so I feel like I know enough, you know, kind of thing. But as far as, like, you know, history and, and upbringing, I mean, obviously, we did, I met him. Um, they lived in D.C. for how many years did y'all live out there? We lived there together um, for about five years together, and then I lived there for another two years before that, and Katie a year before that. Okay. So then like when they, years. yeah, so then when they moved, they lived close, like, within about 30 minutes of this, where I'm at. Um, when they moved back in town or in town, you know, we kind of all got together and we've consistently since then gotten together, you know, on and off, um, you know, here and there through the years. So I've obviously spent time with them, but Dan, I've rambled enough. Introduce yourself. Tell us, 
tell me, tell us about just what you think. What are the, what are the high points of Dan? Sure. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Katie would be surprised if I didn't mention that I'm originally from upstate New York and, oh. and that's upstate New York, upstate. not New York city. Okay. So that's what like, what does it matter? Well, if you say it's New York city, that's like saying you're from Cleveland. Listen, you're about to make sense. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the that's the thing of oh, I've been to New York once. So which part, Manhattan? No, no, no. I'm actually from about two to three hours north of there, where it actually starts to to get a little more rural. Um, I was saying, I, isn't it like more? Because I yeah. went, I was good friends with a guy who lived in New York, and I was like, oh, New York City, and he was like, no, I like have a cow farm. Yeah. Like, yeah, I could walk. I could walk from my childhood house and go see cows. Right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, I grew up just south of the Adirondacks. Which okay. Is, really pretty nice state park up there um katie that's fan service for her because she knows i always mention that um <laughs> once i left the house uh once i left i finished my undergrad and grad degrees i uh deployed to afghanistan with the military then moved to virginia okay. spent some time there as a couple different jobs um katie and i met we got married we decided we didn't want to raise a family in northern virginia um the hustle and bustle wasn't for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the difficulty with the commutes and everything would have meant we, our kids would have been away from us for up to 10 to 12 hours a day. She talks about that. Yeah. And, and like, what does she say? Y'all had to leave. If you wanted to not do like an hour and a half, you'd have to leave at like 6 a.m. And then 545. Yeah. yeah. And it was getting earlier and earlier before we That's left. Crazy. Um, and then coming home was the same thing. It's towards the end of it. We we uh, worked within about five to 10 minutes of each other. So we commuted together a lot, and then once we had Maddie, we had to commute separately, even though we were that close, so that she could get home in time uh, wow. to Maddie. So we made the decision, um, and it's something we had thrown around for a while. Um, I started applying to, to PhD programs, got accepted into University of Cincinnati, and quit quit my job, and uh, went back to school full-time while, while Katie transferred her job to Wright Pat. Mm-hmm. So we've been here for about two years now. Okay. So tell, so you mentioned deploying, you're still in the reserves, right? Now, how does that, you know, I can't keep things straight. Is the reserves and the guard, what's the difference and how does it work? Like, did you have to do, is this the one where like they pay for your school and then you commit to four years? So I did, uh, I was an ROTC, which is the active duty army. Uh, when I finished undergrad, uh, I ended up going to the reserve component, which is the reserves and the guard. Okay. Uh, the difference, the only difference is the guard works for the state primarily. Okay. And the reserves are part of the big army all the time. So, so do you do the, because I have friends that, that the owners of the gym that I used to go to, RIP, I wish I could still go there. <laughs> um, do you, is this like the weekend a month? Okay. So you yeah. do that. Yeah. I mean, summer? it's. It's got a little more, uh, more than that. So in the, I've been in for 13 years now. Um, and during that time I've done about five years of active duty and in the eight years of non-active duty, I've almost never had a year where it was just one weekend a month, two Mm -hmm. weeks a year. Usually it ends up being three weeks plus, and sometimes there's more than just a weekend depending on what's going on. Are you the branch that gets called in? Like I, I know the wife of that couple that I'm mentioning when the um, hurricane kind of wiped out the Dominican Republic, she ended up going there for I think six to eight weeks or maybe even more than that. Are you that branch that does stuff like that? Okay. Could be. When I, so I was in the national guard for 12 years. When we moved to uh, Ohio, I transferred from the national guard to the reserves. Okay. And that's because it's tied into the States Every time you change states, you're starting over, trying to prove yourself all over again. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to go to the reserves. It's easier to get 
the the officer promotions and all that. So I did that. Yeah. Um, but I was in the guard. I did things like a snow removal mission. Um, we did hurricane preparation. Okay. Governor's inauguration. So those were the ones that got caught up, called up for that. Uh, I had friends that were down in Puerto Rico. Is uh, it Puerto Rico? Did I say that Dominican Republic? Well, they had they had folks in both. Um, but but my friends from <laughs> the DC <laughs> from DC Guard were in Puerto Rico. Okay, and they were doing missions down there. And that so, kind of but stuff. with the reserves, is that something that you could get called into those it, types of things as much? It could be. Um, I mean, my unit uh, has been going to Africa for the last couple of years for their okay. annual trainings um, as just part of exercises. Uh, I haven't gone on either of those missions just because we have young kids. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't want to take the risk of yeah. going and catching a rare tropical disease. <laughs> <laughs> People are, well, I, don't yeah. know, I don't even know what they got going on over there. Probably something bad. Yeah, I got quite a few shots Typhoid. in preparation for it. Uh, yellow fever and a few oh, others. Yeah, yeah not, not fun. Diphtheria. Malaria. Yeah, bad yeah. ones. All the bad ones. <laughs> you don't want to mess with any of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, if the kids were older, I'd, I'd take the chance because it's a cool experience, but it just wasn't worth it. Yeah. So. Okay. So that's great. I mean, obviously he's an American hero, folks. So <laughs> we're really proud of him for that. Um, I just think, I, and I don't, I don't know. I with my son. I think that I, I, I would hope that he would consider something like that. It just seems like kind of the best of both worlds. Well, he's got the haircut now. So. I mean, he's got the buzz cut, so <laughs> he's good to go. He's basically on his way. But. uh it's a destiny. I mean, because so you can have your education mm-hmm. covered, and then you, you I'm, I'm assuming you're paying into some a retirement mm-hmm. with the military, which is always a good thing. And then you have the ben, the medical benefits. These are all like old people uh, yeah. worries that yeah. I'm starting yeah, no, to all have. Those, all those are true. We we use uh, if you're on active duty military, you're automatically enrolled in the insurance mm-hmm. um, for the reserve folks it's optional you pay for it okay but the cost is astronomically cheaper than oh yeah i'm uh, sure than like a premium with the company or something yeah yeah i mean our we went from my government insurance when i was working for the government to my military insurance it's a lot cheaper yeah the insurance coverage isn't as good i tend to believe you get what you pay for Mm -hmm. but um it's it's good enough yeah so and the coverage is really good for the kids and obviously i mean like you said you were deployed so even Mm -hmm. with the reserves you run that risk Mm -hmm. but i think you know experience though really oh yeah it so I was on a training mission for Afghans, um, and it was just a really neat mission. I was teaching them how how not to get blown up. How long were you there? Uh, I was in theater for about 10 months. And then were you all married at that time, or no. this was before? Okay. No, this was before I met Katie. Um, yeah. Um, it actually broke up the relationship that I had at the time. Okay. One thing that you learn on a deployment, if, if the relationship's on the rocks... It's going to get worse while you're there. Yeah, I can't imagine it would survive that. Just a lot of things happened. My mom passed away while I was on leave from Afghanistan, and it wasn't wasn't fully expected. She'd been sick. She had had cancer for a while, but I came home on normal leave, like it wasn't emergency leave or anything, Mm. and she passed away while I was home. So I had a lot of of weird things going on in in life at the time. So then picked up and went back after she had passed. Yeah, yeah, it was tough. That was a struggle. Yeah. Um, I took a lot of risks when I got back. Uh, some really stupid things. And yeah. thankfully, I brought my whole team back. Mm-hmm. So, Man. That's crazy. My brother did two, two tours. I'm not even going to say where he was because I know I'll mess it up. But <laughs> he did two. And, yeah, I mean, I think... For the second one, he and my sister-in-law were married, and they had a baby, too. Mm-hmm. And, he like, he missed her first birthday. And so, yeah, I mean, you run that risk. He's active military army right now, but even with the reserves, obviously. And then, like, mm-hmm. the girl that I was mentioning, I mean, she 
um, her daughter wasn't even, was like four months old or something. And here she's picking up. She's obviously breastfeeding. She picks up and nobody really cares. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. like you're going. And so she did have to, she picked up and left. And like I said, I think it was six to eight weeks that she was gone. But with a baby, I mean, mm -hmm. that's a whole lifetime almost and as much as quickly as babies change. So I've known mothers that have, um, continued pumping while they were on military oh, service really? and shipped at home and, uh, with dry ice and things like that to, yeah. to make sure that continues. But it's a real challenge. Yeah. Wow. And there's a lot of things that don't get talked about with it. Like the reintegration that mm -hmm. happens on the tail end of it. You think people have gone, been gone for, you know, anywhere from three months up to a year. Now, how do you get back into what was your life before that? What were the gender roles? What were all these things? And it's, it's really interesting to see how people try and address that. Yeah. I just saw a guy, he had been quite a while deployed in like multiple, multiple deployments, but he said that exact same thing. He said that when he was there, it was just constant adrenaline, constant mm -hmm. action, constant, like it's simple. Yeah. Like you just do, you do what you have to do, you know what you need to do and you do it and there's a mission and it's clear. Yeah. And, uh, but then when he got back, he was like, I'm so bored. Well, they cook for you. They, uh, you have a place to sleep. You don't have to worry about your rent or any of those things. Yeah. You have really nice gym facilities, even on the most remote places, you can still work out pretty consistently. Yes, America. And it, so you yes. get up, <laughs> you eat, you go do your missions all day. You come back, you eat, you work out. You go to sleep. It's that simple. <laughs> oh my god! The life is so simple, and then you come back, and and it's uh, <laughs> it's really funny because basically the government's taking care of you. So now you see, you come back. How do I readjust? And now I got to take care of myself. Yeah. So it's pretty pretty good uh, anecdote of <laughs> why the government probably shouldn't take as yeah maybe Much let y'all cook role. your meals exactly. every once in a while or something <laughs> or like remember oh by the just don't just say so you now when you get back you're gonna have to be paying rent and keep that in mind mm -hmm. or keep you some yeah i didn't think about that yeah that's true i think about that because i as soon as you're saying that, i'm like that's exactly what my old people do they go to rehab and everything's done for them and then when they get home they're like i can't get up to get a glass of water i'm like yeah, yeah you can you just had somebody bringing it to you for months so, yeah, of course you get used to what you're used to. Exactly. And then when it, you're not, when it's not there, it is, you know, the time of getting used to or reintegrating and learning how to basically be an adult and yeah. <laughs> take care of yourself completely. And Let dramatic change in life. And this is, this is a perfect time to talk about the, like, upheaving your life and doing something else. Mm -hmm. This is a perfect time to go into the, the whole quitting job and going into the PhD. Yeah. And so. I didn't, well, let me just say real quick, Dan had, when he messaged me, this is so funny, he was like, Katie doesn't want me to do it. She said, I couldn't, but I really want to. Here's some things I want to talk about. And I was like, look, bros before hoes. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, only if I'm not going to compromise my friendship. No, I said, "Am I gonna, is, is Katie going to hate me or am I going to compromise my friendship with a, my friend who I've been friends with for 30 years? And he was like, no, you know, she's really proud of me for coming up with these topics and they'll be good. And I was, I was too. I really, really, uh, think some mm -hmm. of these things he's mm -hmm. wanting to talk about are going to be good. So I'm going to go ahead. He's going to, was just getting ready doing a perfect transition. <laughs> and I interrupted him into talking about, um, you know, life transitions and leaving and making big upheaval type decisions. So, I mean, I didn't know that. I didn't know that you quit your job. I thought for some reason I thought. I thought you were teaching while you were doing your PhD and that was your job. But you're... So it is. Um, okay. But before I, before I started, um, I was a division chief for the government. So I was in charge of um, a fairly 
big responsibility with the agency I was working for. And I wouldn't say I was at my peak of my, well, peak and pinnacle. It's kind of hard to throw around where I was in my career, mm-hmm. but I was the youngest division chief by somewhere between 10 and 15 years. Wow. So I was, I was doing pretty well. I just wasn't happy with the, um, the overall lifestyle. Yeah. Um, like I said, with the family was very important to me, but, and it was the best government job I ever had. I had a great boss. I had great people working for mm-hmm. me. I, and I, I would say working with me, not for me because they were just great employees but even in that environment i still wasn't happy working for the government yeah just a lot of the mentality of people that are full-time government employees are very lackadaisical Hmm. Um, it's hard to get rid of people that aren't performing well Hmm. um, and it just it wasn't a good fit yeah so we made the decision and i quit and i and i was making good money even in dc Mm -hmm. so basically taking half our income out Wow. So, uh, starting the PhD, they pay a small stipend, but I mean, it's, it's not that much. And the one thing I'll say up front is I couldn't do it without a support system. Yeah. And primarily from Katie. Yeah. The fact that Katie was willing to allow me to do this at this point was just, it's, it's really emotional and I'm very thankful for her for that support system. And then other people that have supported me through that, my family, and then the person I'm going through the program with, Mm -hmm. um, it's really hard. And for somebody that's going to, to try and go back to school, however they do it, it's, it has its challenges no matter who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I can do it only because Katie's there for me and I don't know how, uh, how a single mother does it or a single father does it. It's just amazing that they have that kind of resilience to be able to to take on that challenge. Um, so yeah. Do you feel any, like, uh, I just want to be clear. I don't see this, but I just wonder how you feel. Do you battle any like masculine demasculation issues with quitting your job and this whole, cause you're, I mean, obviously the family dynamic that you have is very Mm non-traditional for you to be not working for her to be working full time. I mean, I know you're, I mean, obviously you're in doing your PhD and things. I mean, that's just not something have you, has anybody made any comments to you about supporting your family or about not supporting your family? Have you caught any, do you feel that? I guess maybe, cause I don't think anybody from the outside would see, would see it. No, I think, um, cause it's not like you're a deadbeat. I mean, people, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're doing, you're working and still you're, you're working to better your family, but I can just, I wondered if you felt that at all. I don't think so. I mean, Katie and I joke around about it. Um, I mean, make comments like she's the sugar mama and things like that. <laughs> oh I'm gosh. the, I'm the, um, <laughs> sugar baby, the kept man, whatever it is, <laughs> but I don't think we get any malicious outside yeah. uh, comments about it, or at least I haven't noticed any. Um, no, I mean, the intent is once I finish, I will go be a professor somewhere and Mm -hmm. we get that income back. Um, but again, just the fact that she was willing to let me do this is just, it's, it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know Katie's great. Move on. (laughs) (laughs) She's going to be eating this up. I got to keep her humble. No, No, but that is amazing because that's scary. Like to, to think, think, I mean, obviously you had a cost of living change, so things like that. But I mean, to think about... 
losing, like you said, half of your income <laughs> and trying to manage financially on that. And then you have kids and they have things that, you know, obviously their needs and financial things that come up with them. So yeah, I can see how on her, I can see as a woman myself, like I can see how she would, it would be scary for her yeah. to, to be agreeable to that. So, and I mean, we've had some challenges with it. Um, she had talked about not going back to work full time after mm -hmm. Phoebe was born. And, um, it was just something that we realized it wasn't something we could do at that time. So mm -hmm. once I finish, that's when we'll address what is it that she wants to do now? Yeah. So then it's her turn to, to figure out and she's thrown some ideas around. I know she wants to be, uh, involved in the natural childbirth. Oh, um, here we so. go. <laughs> <laughs> she had, she had thrown around the idea of being a midwife the other day. And, uh, um, I think she'd be excellent at that. I, I think so too. But, yeah. um, if she wants to travel and things like that, I don't know if that's, yeah, that's the true. lifestyle change, but yeah. we'll, we'll talk about it. And we yeah. have these conversations and one of the, one of the things I find really important to us is being on the same page. Mm -hmm. And we were talking the other day about, about that. And I said, well, I can only think of a couple of things we're not on the same page with. She said, like what? <laughs> and I couldn't think of any. Oh yeah. I yeah. mean, we, I mean, we have very similar, um, approach to parenting. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's hard to think of things that we're not on the same page with. Mm -hmm. And it's extremely important. It goes back to that being so supportive of this decision. Mm -hmm. If I had made the decision by myself, yeah, it wouldn't have been effective. The resentment alone, yeah. I'm sure would have just tore y'all apart. And that's why I think we, I talked about this with another guest, just about hobbies, mm -hmm. about how, if you have, if your spouse is really super invested in a hobby that takes up maybe a lot of time, maybe takes up money even, that if your other spouse, if your spouse doesn't see the value, not only in how that helps you, but also how it helps that person be a better person for the helps of the family, that how that could just create so much tension and resentment. So like, it's the same in this. I mean, if, if she wasn't 100% on board, I mean, it would just it would just be this underlying angst, you know, and, in your whole relationship. And that's not to say we haven't had challenges with it. Yeah. Um, like anything, um, we've had moments where it's, it's caused an argument or it's caused a disagreement, whatever it is about, Hey, you're spending too much time on, on this mm -hmm. or whatever it is, but we get through it and we yeah. work through it. And like you said, with that, if that thread was there, that resentment, mm -hmm. it would start to unravel very quickly. Yeah. So, and I think I, you have, you know what your goal is. Yeah. And like, regardless of if there's little disagreements or arguments that pop up, at the end of the day, you're both working towards the same goal of you completing this program and moving into higher education. So that makes it to where, you know, yeah, okay, we had the squabble, but we're still on the same page about this goal and working towards it. So. And then the other thing I find that um, in the academia, they don't value well, they don't value a lot of things, but that family life is almost discouraged. Mm -hmm. And to me, family life is extremely important. Yeah. Um, I, I find myself to be a husband and a dad first. Yeah. Not, not whatever this PhD identity is. Mm -hmm. That's most important to me. And I find that the support is not always there in yeah. the, in the program. So having, having family and friends that are supportive of it is, mm -hmm. it helps make up for that. I don't know that there, I would love to hear about anywhere that there is very much support, period, for family. I mean, I just know, I, I worked for children's services, mm -hmm. you know, for, for almost 10 years, and I fought with management there when it came to things with my own family and my own children and things like that, and got a lot of kickback as far as 
questioning my commitment to the to the job and and to the um, to the work and things. And I'm thinking, wouldn't you want someone working in this company? You know, in this children's services who is focused on their family and children and you know but I, yeah i'd be interested i, I don't know I, I, I took that approach when i was a manager yeah and that's the approach i take in my classes so as part of the phd program i also teach classes okay so for every two semesters of funding you have to teach a class okay so i've taught two so far and i take the same approach in the classes of family comes first, mm-hmm. um, no matter what. Um, and I've had people take me up on it where they've had a death in the family or mm. whatever it is. And I, I don't ask for proof of that or anything. Yeah. I can usually tell when somebody's abusing it. Yeah. And it was the same with my employees too. They were, they were very good about that. I would let people telework if they needed to. I would let people, um, um, do whatever family stuff they had going on. Um, but I got pushed back even from the senior management on that. Wow. And I was I, I was a division chief. This is this is my division to run. Mm-hmm. And I would get pushback from not my director, but my director's boss. Wow. So. It because what is it though? I mean, do they want people that are just robots who don't have any feelings or any connection to anything outside of the office? And do they really think that that's the way for someone? I'm about to get on a box. Hold on, let me well, just check myself here. Here's the easiest thing. I mean, thing do they think. really think that that's the way to get someone to be the most efficient worker? Is by having them stripped of any connection outside of that that cubicle it just seems crazy to me i don't think it's a conscious decision this is okay so this is entirely dan's theory of (laughs) why this happens yeah i think they get so focused on the mission whatever the mission is and i'm going to use the military terms for it of you work for child services so we need to take care of these these children Mm -hmm. so anything that interferes with that is a detriment to our mission, and I'm putting yeah. that in air quotes. Yeah. So we have to focus on that. Mm-hmm. So if you're not dedicated to that mission 100%, then it's a problem. So I think that's what it is. Yeah. And it takes it takes conscious effort to step back and say, okay, yes, the mission is important, but the mission's always going to be there. Mm-hmm. We need to take care of our people first, and then they will... Uh, Take do better now. Yeah. Interestingly enough, what I study in part of my PhD is people. Yeah, well, a, we'll say that I don't know even know what are you studying or what's your what will your doctorate what will if I could talk what will will your doctorate be in? So it'll be a, a PhD in business okay. with a focus on management and specifically strategy. Okay, and then my subfield is strategic human capital. So go. how do organizations get value out of their people? Okay, so that's why it's so fascinating to me mm-hmm. and. And just how people think and how do we actually do this? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've worked at quite a few different places. Not very many since I've had kids. I would say, I'm trying to think with the company that I'm with right now, they don't, uh, they don't willingly allow for me to engage, you know, be with my kids and be with my family and stuff. But I do because I have the freedom. I have the flexibility to do that and I don't get any kickback so I don't know if you could say that they're you know accommodating a family life or not I know like even I interviewed for one of the local children's hospitals here and it was the thing of like there's no days off you know you work holidays you blah 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 and it's like you know and I've worked for companies where it's like no matter what you're clocked in from eight to five and if you don't you have to it just see it you know what I hate I hate it as much as I hated having to um 
having to, being required to go to class when I was in my graduate yeah. program. We don't treat people like adults. Exactly. And, I'm like, I'm an adult. Yeah. If I choose, I'm paying for this degree. If I choose to come, that's my choice. If I choose not to come, that's my choice. And it's kind of the same thing with a, with a job. I'm going to do my work. Like, mm-hmm. can you trust them? I'm going to do my work. And if I'm a half hour late because I had to run my kid into the orthodontist before work or something, you know, just know that I'm going to make it up somewhere. But there's, mm-hmm. like you're saying, I think what it is though, just like. I remember my youth pastor used to say, just know that we have these rules for camp because at some point somebody's done something that's created this rule. And it's kind of the same thing. There's a minority of people who will take advantage, who will abuse the system. And so they have to kind of say, okay, across the board, <laughs> yeah, we're going to make these rules that are, you know, are, feel feel anti-family or feel, you know, like you're you're really just... I don't know, not support, like you said, not supporting people with families, not supporting parents and children. And And those blanket policies take the least amount of thought. Oh, yeah. I had this conversation with somebody this past weekend while I was on on military status. And we were talking about punish individuals. Don't punish a group. Mm -hmm. I hate that. It's the lowest form of intellectual punishment that you can find. Yeah. Um, And that's a good manager, a good leader knows how to pull those out and not say... Well, that's just the policy, and that's how we're going to mm-hmm. do it from here on out. Oh, yeah. I, I, all the time, all staff emails with stuff. And mm-hmm. I'll be like, we all know that this was two people who did this. Mm-hmm. Why are you sending an email to the entire office about it? Yeah, I never, yeah, I never I took that approach. That. And yeah. the best leaders that I try to emulate are the ones that did not do that. Yeah. And, I, of course, I'm fouled. I slip up and screw up all the time. So. <laughs> well. Well, tell me, so let's get into this talking about, you mentioned when you messaged me about like being a dad, being a father and the difference there. And then about um, having two daughters. And then we talked about, and you just kind of briefly talked about how it was just for the second, for the your youngest one, right at home. Yeah, first with we, the, did right. A, we did hospital birth for the first one. The second one was a home birth. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so tell me, I mean, where did you, where did you stand on that when she first came to you about it? Okay. So when she first, first came to me about the, the home birth, I was kind of against it. Yeah. Um, and once she talked to me about it and I realized this is what she wanted, mm-hmm. I don't think I took that much convincing. What were your arguments? I didn't have any good ones. I mean, well, <laughs> it's the typical uneducated one. Okay. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this is the dads tend not to be as educated on this. If So the moms tend to be undereducated on it. Uh-huh. The dads tend to be completely Zero. uneducated yeah. on it. Um, and we put a lot of effort into, uh, into the natural childbirth up front. Um, I read a bunch of books and the experience we had in the hospital wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it was that hard of a conversation to convince me to do the yeah. home birth. Uh, there was an expense involved. It wasn't covered by our insurance. The home birth, the was home it? birth wasn't. So you had a, you mentioned you had a um, midwife. Yes. And so that expense wasn't covered. No. Okay. No. So the, the way the military insurance worked, um, it had to be done by an OBGYN or a um, certified midwife. And I have to check this to make sure it's true, but I think in Ohio, neither one of those can legally deliver at home. So we had our hands tied. So we had a a professional midwife, Mm -hmm. which is a lay midwife, um, but we weren't able to to request reimbursement or anything like that. Okay. So we had to pay out of pocket for the home birth. But the experience was amazing, and it's what 
what Katie wanted. It's ultimately what I wanted. Yeah. And going forward, as long as there's no complications with the birth or any high risk, mm -hmm. I I think we would do every every future birth that yeah. we have as a home birth. Yeah. I mean, we're we're in our own home. Katie went to bed in her own bed afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, I got to to hold my daughter in one of our towels and it's funny we were going through some stuff the other day we found the towel that she was wrapped in oh my gosh and it's like we're never gonna get rid of this yeah so we have pictures of our whole family together in mm -hmm. our bedroom yeah right afterwards this wow. is an amazing experience so let me just play devil's advocate because you know you're in the minority mm -hmm. here i wonder what the statistics are maybe i could have looked something up before we started recording but you know i didn't I don't, I mean, it's just crazy for me that I even know, I know three people who have delivered in their home. And I would imagine that that's high to know that I, many. I think so. Because yeah. I, other than the people that Katie met through the birth boards, I don't think I've known anybody. My aunt was accidentally born at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, it's very interesting to get the kind of reactions you get out of it mm -hmm. too. Um, and it's, this is part of that whole normalizing thing that Katie had talked about. She mm -hmm. wants to normalize talking about birth and talking about uh, home births and kind of the the gender thing that I'd like to talk about in a little bit. Of, yeah. You have to normalize it for everybody. So women have to be open to men being part of this conversation. Yeah. And like that birth board she was on, they kicked all men out of it. She mentioned that. Yeah. So if you're trying to normalize this and have a conversation about it, you have to have them involved. I mean... Mm -hmm. The dads aren't having the baby, but they're definitely a big part of it. And the, well, the roles, baby wouldn't be there without the dad. So. That's very true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that role is extremely important, too. And um, it, and dads don't always know what is our role in the childbirth. Yeah. It's, I mean, Your role is to do whatever the wife tells you to do. That's, well, that's, what, that's what's communicated, at least. <laughs> but I think I agree with you. I mean, I think it's more than that. I think oh. your your role is more than just you know, don't talk and hold my hand and, and get me ice chips. Like, and, and, and maybe that is all that it is, but I think it, it could be, it needs to be maybe more than that. Well, I'll tell you what my role was. Um, when, when Maddie was born in the hospital, um, my role was to make sure that Katie was breathing and, and relaxing mm -hmm. and that helped get through some of the more intense contractions by focusing on what I was saying and what I was doing, um, and making sure she was drinking water, which our nurse didn't like, and that was part of the reason we oh, had to yeah. do that experience. No eating, no drinking, yeah, while those, you're in labor and all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reasoning behind that is archaic and kind of silly. Mm -hmm. um, that's a whole other conversation about <laughs> we'll get into it. <laughs> C section rates and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but their whole prep, they're trying to make sure that if somebody has to have a surgery mm -hmm. or anything like that, they're ready. But, I mean, and not to sound sexist or anything, but birth is a marathon. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that the husband's job is to be the coach and the and the uh, water provider and all that stuff throughout that. Yeah. To remind them to breathe. Because you're focused on what you're doing. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the hardest part of it. What we do is we take that, that active role and support that. Um, then when we did the home birth, similarly... So when Maddie was born, she had back labor. So I was rubbing her back the whole time. Okay. When Phoebe was born, it was more... Uh, of a normal labor and it was her hips that were bothering her so I was squeezing her hips together yeah all these things that we had learned in our Bradley method class um, were that's what I was doing I okay. was I was her Bradley coach yeah and that's the way they they approach that and I think it's a really effective one because I had to go and watch all the videos I had to watch the 
the little pelvis and the baby come through <laughs> the pelvis and all this. And yeah. I know a lot about birth. And it's interesting how quickly I get shut down by, um, by women of, oh, you can't know anything about this. Uh, uh, yeah. It happened um, in one of the seminars I was in. I was talking about OBGYNs. And they immediately said, well, what the heck do you know about OBGYNs? Well, we had some struggles trying to, to have a baby. I mean, we had we had three miscarriages before uh, wow. Maddie was born. And, like, I was there through those. Yeah. I tried to get – I hope she doesn't mind that I'm talking about this because yeah. it was pretty emotional. I was trying to get her through it at the same time, try and deal with those emotions myself. Right. And – not to say that it's anywhere close, but there's really no support structure for the for the father when that happens. You're right, yeah. It's, we we try and take care of the mom, and it's still underdone of how we approach this. But mm -hmm. then trying to regulate those emotions myself was really hard. Hmm. And then when she got pregnant with Maddie, it was until we hit 10 weeks, I almost didn't want to get excited. Yeah. Because I had gotten so excited with the, first, with the first one that made it a while. And... We went out and bought baby stuff. We bought a Bjorn and all those things. And then when that happened, it was crushing. Yeah. So when when Maddie was uh, when she was pregnant with Maddie, it was I, I can't get excited about this because it was yeah. just so hard uh, when that happened last time. Um, but then Maddie was born, mm -hmm. our, our beautiful daughter, and uh, my Katie's uh, twin in my shadow is how she <laughs> describes her. Yeah. She's all that daddy. Um, <laughs> But knowing what that role is for the father is really hard. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking as you're talking, and, I, and I, I don't know that I've ever thought about this. How crazy is it that our culture is still so archaic about men's role in these things? Because well, I'm thinking, I would, I would just, I would, I think that, you know, there's still this mentality of, uh, go to That's work. women's work. It's yeah. women's work. Yeah. Go to work, pay the bills, take, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, like you just said, I mean, you created this child together. You grieved during the miscarriages, you know, as much as she did. That was your child as much as it was. So why is it, why are we so just backward? Why is know. our culture so backward about this? I'm not, and I, I haven't thought about that but much, but I mean, now that you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking, that is kind of crazy that our culture is so, like, and this is what's the worst part about it is that women expect it. Yeah. They expect for men to be exactly what you're saying you're doing and you are and be an advocate and be engaged and blah, blah, blah. But the culture doesn't expect that. Yeah. And it's, it's almost seen as non-masculine. Mm -hmm. But this gets to my point of a father versus a dad. Yeah. A father is that one that comes in, yep, go to work, pay the bills, uh, provide for the family. That's all I got to do. Yeah. The dad is the one that goes beyond that. And uh, there's two great examples, mm. two real quick anecdotes to, to share yeah. of, of what I consider dads, people that are peers that I want to emulate. And one of them is Jimmy. And uh, so we showed up to, to Jimmy's house with... Uh, this is a friend of ours? Yes. Jimmy. Okay, yep. yeah. Yep. This is a friend of ours that I went to high school with and uh, her husband. So go ahead. So we get to the house and he immediately grabbed the, the car seat. Because he knows that we just had a baby, we're we're kind of sleep deprived, all this stuff. He yeah. grabs the car seat and he's got the baby out of the car seat and he's holding the baby before we can even yeah. do anything. And it was just one of those. That's a dad. Yeah, that's a dad. Yeah. The other one, um, 
a couple weeks ago, my sister-in-law got married, the one you went to school uh-huh. with. Yeah. And after the wedding, we're trying to get everything thrown into the cars and all this. And um, my younger daughter, who generally doesn't like anybody, reached for another friend of ours, husband, Dan. Okay. And wanted to be held by Dan. Yeah. And Dan held her for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes while we were mm-hmm. trying to pack all this stuff. And she was just as content as could be. Yeah. And they're very laid back, chill guys that they're, they're just dads. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it just, and I think the kids can tell too, but that's what I want to be like. I want to be that one that the kids come to when they have a problem. They Mm -hmm. don't always go to mom that I can help take some of that pressure off of Katie for the, you know, raising the children. Mm -hmm. It's not just her responsibility. It's mine too. You just gained all the women followers. <laughs> well, I'll end up, I'll end up losing gonna, them here in a few minutes no. when we talk about the other topic. Uh, but people are going to be wearing making t-shirts with your face on it. You're just great. No, no, I. I mean, it's true. Like, why is there this idea that it's a women's woman's role? You make a choice to make a baby together. Why is there not an equal responsibility between yeah. the two, between the husband and, and and wife to both be active, actively involved in parenting? And I think the reason why is, like I just said a second ago, is that our culture allows for men to have an out, mm-hmm. allows for men to get away with not doing that because it's not the norm. Yeah. If every other dad was doing what you're doing and and you weren't and you were just being a caveman and outside pounding wood or whatever you do, like, you know, building something and not paying attention to your kids, you'd feel like an idiot because you wouldn't, you'd be the outside, you'd be the outskirt. But like you said, you are the outskirt and, you know, Jimmy and Dan, you know, they're the, the, not the norm. I think I'm not around a lot of dads, so I don't really know how this is. I don't want to say like not the norm or or that all dads are are jerks, but are not active in their kids' lives. I think there is a, I I think that hopefully it's moving away from that fifties type mentality, but still not there all the way but i think we see that with our friends like i can't think of any of our friends that i wouldn't classify as dads okay um, good i'd i'd really have to strive to really i think we tend to surround ourselves by people that we want to hang out with mm-hmm. and and um and and have be part of how we approach things mm-hmm. we're very tribal like that yeah so I can't think of anybody like that, but I know they exist. But even like you were, when we were at, we were at our, at my house for a second and we kind of had to bail because the kids are loud, but you were even saying there about how you've, you've had poop and vomit and pee. Oh, yeah. and that, I mean, like just the fact that you're talking about changing diapers and cleaning babies and things like that. I mean, that's not, that's outside of the norm for sure. I would think like there's, I just think that, you know, I hope that the, the sh- there is a shift or improvements as far as men being more active in their kids' lives. I think I so. haven't experienced it so much with, with the men that I've interacted with thus far. But I, I will say, like I mentioned before, I mean, I see Dan with his kids, and he's not just running lip service. Like, this is really... Um, he, he and Katie, if you were to see them... It's a very equal and active, you know, parenting situation with both of them. He's not in the corner drinking a brandy and looking at a magazine yeah. while while she parents. I mean, they're both there, hands on, you know, all hands on through the whole the whole deal. So, well, and that's, yeah, that part of that is that normalization. Mm-hmm. 
if we try to see the genders as competitive and against each other, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, and especially as a, as a father of two daughters right now, um, my goal for them is to let them know there are bad people in the world mm -hmm. and you need to protect yourself and I will do everything in my power to protect them. But you can't see this as a, an us versus them mentality. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's the big thing is we have to normalize all the conversations that we're having. Yeah. And if we try to shut out the other gender just because they're the other gender, mm -hmm. regardless of what the topic is, then we're insulating ourselves and we're never going to get past that. Yeah. And now if that's what people want, then that's fine. If you don't want men to have an opinion on X, Y, and Z, then be, but realize that if you take that opinion out, we're going to reinforce those mentalities mm -hmm. of, well, your job is just to provide for us. Yeah. But if you want to have a normalization of it's equal equal responsibility, yeah. we have to be able to talk about yeah, this. Yeah, you can't too. have it both ways, basically. Yeah. You can't expect for your husband, your partner to be an active part in parenting and birth and things like that, but then shut them down when he wants to know about, you know, or wants to learn about the birthing process or mm -hmm. wants to learn about breastfeeding or whatever it is, like... You can't, you, it has to be, like you said, there has to be a normalization of equal. Well, I mean, how did you learn how to do this? My dad, um, our, our peer friends like Jimmy and Dan, I, they were parents before yeah. we were. So I saw them interacting with their children. Um, my brother-in-law, Jay, I see that type of interaction and we try to emulate what mm -hmm. we, what we want. And I experienced it with my dad. He mm -hmm. was very much like that too. Um, he and my mom were very equal yeah. partners in the, in the child raising. So that's how I want to be too. Okay. What about, I mean, what do you think you're going to do specifically with your daughters to try to help them to kind of seek out men or to grow in a way to where they, you know, they don't feel diminished because they are women or they don't feel like they have to seek out a man who can complete them. You know, that all of those things that you've kind of mentioned. Um, well, part of that is they Katie. A, I mean, they, they can't with Katie. That's, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the simplest answer is they have a very strong female role model. Um, the other one is I own multiple shotguns. Um, there you go. They, they'll both learn how to shoot at young age. So <laughs> I'm not too worried about them. Uh, uh, they'll, they'll be the ones that are more they'll than willing to be the strong women. Yeah. Um, yeah, but at the same time, I also have T-shirts for them and things like I'm not allowed to date ever. <laughs> or uh, guns, put it out there, put it out there. Guns don't kill people. Dads with with daughters do. So <laughs> yeah, it's but letting them know that you're equal. Yeah. You're you're part of this. You're not the same, but you're equal. Mm -hmm. And that's what gets lost a lot in in some of the messages. Some of that that whatever your decision is. I'm going to try and support you. I'll give you advice, but, mm -hmm. but it's your decision. Ultimately, I hope you would make a, a well-informed, yeah. strong decision. So what's the topic that you mentioned that's going to make everybody take, like yeah. shred their Dan shirts? <laughs> so I talked, I talked a little bit about the, um, the dangers in the world and yeah. for full disclosure, one of the additional duties I have in the military is to be a victim's advocate for, Victims of sexual assault and sexual harassment. Okay. And unfortunately, as part of that role, I get to see some of the statistics. I get to see people at their most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, actually had an, an incident this past weekend that was pretty pretty egregious and just disgusting what happened to this, this poor person. 
and I'm their advocate. Okay. Um, the one thing that we we tend to do with this conversation, and it was it was kind of critical of the Me Too campaign, mm-hmm. is we shut men out of it. We shut mm-hmm. men out from being a role in the conversation or thinking that these things happen to them as well. Right. Um, and just a personal experience, I was sexually harassed by a boss in college mm-hmm. where I was working at a bakery and one very specific incident, I remember getting hit by a baking rack and, and kind of crunching over because it hit me in a not a good place. Yeah. And she offered <laughs> to rub it for me. And it was just really disgusting types of behavior that yeah. were not appropriate in the workplace, no matter who the gender is. But, but, but do you feel comfortable standing up with a bunch of women and saying me too? It's what's <laughs> the point that, and this is where I, I kind of get some pushback if the point is to get the message out there, then that's mm-hmm. a good first step. Okay. But if we're stopping there, then I criticize the movement. Yeah. We have to go, how do we address it? Mm-hmm. And part of that is bringing people into the conversation and not just shutting them down and telling them they can't be a part of it. What about male victims? What about same-sex couples? Mm-hmm. Things like that. And that's the one thing I see in my victim's advocacy, that those never get talked about. Yeah. Um, we have mandatory slides that the army says we have to give every year, uh, to people on this topic. And it's like, what, what defines a, a sex offender or what's going to be a prototypical sex offender? The very first thing on it is white male, white male, creepy eyes, <laughs> it's negative views of women. Like that's terrible. That's oh, not a good yeah. indicator of a predator yeah. of a, of this. One of the trainings I went to, they were talking for an hour on male predators. Mm-hmm. And it was really good information. So at the end of it, I asked, well, what do we see with female predators? Are they the same way? And they said, well, nobody researches that. Nobody looks at that. Wow. And you see it happen. I mean, these it happens a lot with teachers. I'll tell you what. I see it happen with girls. And my son's 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they're not sexually harassing him. But they're aggressive. Yeah. They're aggressive. They're chasing after him. I know my brother. I saw it with my brother, too, when he, we were growing up. They're calling, they're cha- literally chasing him. Like he's 11. So I think there's, there's no more of this like damsel in distress. I mean, there's definitely women who I can, I would, I would not think twice to say that a woman had sexually harassed a man because women are just as aggressive almost anymore as men are I mean, or not aggressive. like physically, I just mean like seeking yeah. out sexual encounters and things like that. And whether it's consensual or not. Well, and we go back to the um, the societal view of this and the gender roles. And I, I encourage anybody listening to go on YouTube and look at the difference between male and female victims. And some of the the uh, stuff that's out there is really good because they'll role play a man either abusing or hitting on or whatever a woman. Mm-hmm. And all the bystanders are willing to step in and stop it. They'll say, this is not okay. Oh. But if you see the same exact situation where a woman is... Uh, physically coming on to a man and things like that, everybody's like, "Oh, you go, girl! Yeah, get some. What's wrong with you, guy? Oh, Are you?" And wow. then it's and I showed this video to um, to a training audience this past weekend, and of course they got very defensive of it. Huh. So they just completely proved the point of, well, he, you know, this is just an act and all this stuff. Yeah, but no means no. That's the whole thing of yeah. consent. It doesn't matter who's saying no, and that's what what uh we tend to to lose and ignore um 
by shutting it out and making it an us versus them mentality. Mm -hmm. And they did it when I was in college, you know, years ago. Yeah. They split us up and they did... All the men went into one room, all the girls went into another room, and we got separate videos and all this yeah. stuff. Well, that's not transparent at all. No. You need to see what each other is is learning, and, and then that's how we stop this. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not as simple as saying don't harass women or don't harass men or don't harass whatever. You have to know what does it mean. So maybe she doesn't want you to ask for her number three times. That's not appropriate. We need to, to make sure that's stressed. Yeah. And that's, that's a form of harassment and you really need to stop doing that, mm-hmm. whatever it is. But if we just make it a, a very insular thing, then it's, it's never going to fix itself. Yeah. How did your class react? I mean, what did they say about something like that to where it's clearly, you know, two exact same situations just with the roles reversed how could what could what could they possibly or how could they possibly argue it? They don't. I mean, it's I get this aha moment every time I do this instruction. Yeah. Okay. And people realize, well, yeah. Every time we read about um, a teacher having sex with a male student, it's man, where were these teachers when I was in in school and all yeah. this stuff? And we've got data on these people that this really scars them. It really screws them up in their mm-hmm. relationships going forward. It's not a good thing, and. It's just, yeah. And I would wager to say, if you were to look at uh, psychological assessments of, of course, I'm going strictly off law and order. Mm -hmm. This is what I do. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I think I have read some things too about this that, you know, women, you know, teachers, if we're going to talk about teachers, that their uh, mentalities and and values Mm -hmm. and, and just their approach to relationships and and is is comparable to a man who has those same types of predatory power, you know, like a authority type predatory things. And so, but you're right. I mean, I think when you see a woman who's, uh, who's had a relationship with a a student or a young boy or something like that, it's, uh, it's this whole mentality of, it's almost like this thing of the the community starts to talk about her being the victim. Exactly. We, like, we we do exactly what we what say we're not supposed about? to. Yeah. We blame the victim. Well, he came on to her. It was all about the attention. Uh, she wouldn't have done it if it wasn't. He's old enough him. to know better. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. it's very it's very disheartening as a victim's advocate because I I advocate for all victims. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I don't pick one gender. Yeah. Now, the one thing I want to clarify is this happens way more to women than it does to men. Sure. Um, the underreported statistics, uh, male on male mm-hmm. and female on male is the most underreported statistic, but that it doesn't happen nearly as often as a, as a male on female. Sure. But um, I mean, I don't think it happens as little as we think it does because like you said, the, the, the incidents are not being reported. Yeah. Because so, what? Because like I just said about you standing up and saying me too because of what happened to you with your boss. How many men are going to go to the police and say this woman at my uh, place of employment offered to massage my genitals? She sexually harassed me. Mm-hmm. What's a cop going to say? They're going to laugh. They're going to laugh in your face. And it's going to yeah. be even worse if it's a female cop. She's oh, going to be worse. the f- laugh like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, or, or say you're not a man. Yeah, well you can't handle it, or well, yeah. what are you talking about? What what really happened? Yeah. So how many of those incidents that are, you know, as not that that's simple, but I mean, you know, even more elaborate than that, that have happened with a female, you know, female 
aggressor and a male victim? How many are reported? Well, and I, I mean, knew I knew that I knew of a male victim who was sexually assaulted by his uh, spouse or by his uh, girlfriend, and it was almost like. Are you kidding? You're you're X Y Z. That that doesn't happen. That's impossible. Wow. No, that it clearly happened, and it the arbitration that happened on it was just terrible. Mm-hmm. He, he's really messed up right now because of this. Yeah. And, sure. I mean, he's he's a stronger uh, guy and all this stuff, and yeah. it doesn't matter. He feels he feels like all those things that we put into a violated victim, violated. He feels completely violated. Yeah. And he doesn't feel wow. safe and all these things, and it's changed his career and all that. Mm-hmm. And it's it, and it's almost like society thinks that that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You're weak. Why yeah. couldn't you just handle your woman kind of thing? Exactly. And, yeah. Wow. So well, folks, what... I don't think you're going to lose any, any <laughs> uh, fans. I just think that it's a really good thing to think about that, you know... The Me Too... I think the Me Too movement... I don't want to make anybody offended, but... I might, I don't, and I don't care, but I think it's just gotten a little bit inflated. It's gotten a little bit like, like you're saying, let's define what is sexual harassment and not as a general check these boxes, it's sexual harassment, but as a, as an individual, I don't, like I had a guy who was texting me saying, I can take care of that ass. That, to me, is sexual harassment, and I would prefer you not say that to me. But somebody, some other woman standing beside me might say, I don't mind that. I prefer somebody talk to me direct like that. So let's have communication, whether it's in relationships or dating or whatever, and be very honest with people to say, this, to me, is over the line. You know, this feels like harassment. I'd like, you know, let's shut it down. And if it needs to be handled, you know, with the police or whatever it is, do it, but... You can't, <clears throat> there has to be open lines, and there has to be some, like you're saying, is 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 her, saying a woman you want their phone number four or five times in a row, is that harassment? No. Maybe not. And that's where... Maybe not. It's, it's not, so we do have good definitions of sexual harassment and sexual assault, at least mm-hmm. in the military we do. And it's very clear, these things are what go into that. If it's not about power and control, if it's mm-hmm. not sexual in nature, if it's not um, unwanted, all these things. Yeah. But asking for somebody's phone number, that's not about power and control usually. Yeah. Now, it can cross into their very – if she says no, take it as a hint. Just stop yeah. and back off. <laughs> and that's what or I'm saying. Or if he says no and says, yes. I'm not interested, back off. And it's got to be good for both. for both. That's where I think I'm saying this Me Too movement has just kind of taken some liberties with those, I mean, those specific definitions. And, it, it, you know, it's gone outside of the the realm of, you can say you feel harassed, you can say it's sexual harassment, but to stand up and say Me Too because a guy asked you for his, your phone number four times, I just... Yeah, I, and I don't, I don't want to take anything away from the movie no, 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 because no. it has really yeah. done it a good a job light on it. It exposing should. some of the disgusting, nasty the stuff that's out there, mm-hmm. especially with elite people, people in the media, people in politicians, mm-hmm. um, people in Hollywood that are just absolute scumbags. Yeah, but there's a double standard there too. Um, so there was a there was a uh, t- tweet that uh, Ellen DeGeneres put out about Katy Perry. Okay. And she made a disparaging comment about her breasts. But that was okay. 
and we don't address uh, that. And it was disgusting the comment. Yeah. And if a man had said that, it would have been just crushing. So mm. we have to make sure that whatever we're saying gets equal treatment. Yeah. Here. Gosh, Dan. <laughs> so that's where everybody shreds the t-shirts. Where's the solution? What are we going to well, do? I raised my daughters to be strong, independent women with yeah. the help of their mother. And actually with the, I'm helping her, not the other way around. And she teaches them that if these things happen to you, you are the one that can stop it. Yeah. You are empowered. You are a strong person. You don't need somebody else to do it for you. Now that's, there are support structures to help, but. You are the one that can stop it. And mm-hmm. and both men and women have to feel that way. Mm-hmm. So. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's that's some, definitely something to think about more. I, you, know, I, you know, we're real isolated. And I know you're more so inclined to be connected to news and current events and stuff. I'm not so much. I'm pretty well wrapped up in, like, poopy diapers and <laughs> <laughs> working and kids. That's pretty much all I do. But I do, I'm on the Twitter now, so I do read a lot on there. And actually, it's been kind of crazy. Not only have I been gotten it, been able to get connected to this big, like, podcast world, but there is a lot of news. And I've, I catch a lot of, you know, like, they'll have trending stories, and I'll kind of read through different things here and there. And then, of oh, course, no. there's... Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. I'm not saying so this it's, is, like, the best is, news source. So this just, is one of those things that we were talking about, how to get yourself into the news. I, the first thing I was going to say is don't do anything with social media. Hey, I broke the rules. No, but for me, it's quick. Yeah. Because I can catch, the, he- like I can catch the headlines. I can catch the hashtags. It's very quick. I feel like... There's not going to be a bombing, and I'm not going to know about it because I'm pretty well checking in on there yeah. once an hour or so, looking at stuff. Right? I mean, and that's you know, I'm not. I'm keeping in mind that it's probably not the most uh, accurate information, <laughs> but I think, yeah, I mean, there's there is this. I think a lot of times women and men sometimes we we really want to have it both ways, and I talked about this in one of you know one of my previous episodes about how. You know, dressing in a way that's, I don't want to say provocative. I don't like any of those words. But, I mean, I talked about, like, booty, <laughs> like, shorts that have you wear your butt yep. out, things like like, or your, your, your cleat, your breasts. And we have, like, we, as women, I don't think it's fair to men to say, I'm going to dress this way, but you can't look at me, and you can't make a comment about me, and you can't have a sexual thought about me. Like, you can't, and this is kind of the same thing you're saying, like, Ellen DeGeneres you can't make a comment about another woman's breasts, but then get mad if a man makes that comment yeah. about her breasts. That's not fair. Yeah, it but, has to be fair. We got, Look, everybody's got to just be fair across the board. And that's where the equality comes in. The The funny one that I've seen, too, is um, they've got the picture of Barbie doll. Okay. It says, this is a terrible misrepresentation of women, and it's, it's, it's an image that girls can't live up to and all yeah. this stuff. And then they show a picture of He-Man and they say, this is He-Man. And it's the exact same thing. I mean, yeah. it's the exact same thing. With his loincloth and, yeah. and flowy and like, blonde hair, yeah. mullet hair. Yeah. And big, uh, like, muscular. Bulging. Yeah. And no, it's, yeah. Oh, it's, my gosh. It's, neither one of them is a But G.I. Joe? Yeah, G.I. Joe, exactly. I mean, he's pretty well he's pretty, average. Uh, built. No, they're pretty strong and <laughs> yeah. all that stuff. They got, you know, the solid pecs and all that stuff. Oh, but, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Gosh, Dan, you're just talking about all kinds of things I never even thought about. 
That's crazy because He-Man is total ripped. Yeah. Nobody said anything about that. <laughs> no guys are stepping up saying that their their sons can't live up to the expectations exactly. of He-Man. That's not fair. <laughs> I have this real, and I was kind of raised this way, like just about modesty and things that um, as much as it is about choosing to be modest, which is a choice that I've made and I hope to, but not everyone wants to be that way. Like if you yeah. don't, I'm not saying it's the right, like universally the right thing to do but what I was taught was that it's not only about choosing modesty but it's also you're choosing uh, to not you're choosing to respect men in your world by not well, and here's gallivanting where, around you know and exposing yourself to, to men when they you know you're all caveman well that's so. fine and, and, that's, <laughs> and that's a fine mentality the, the difference that the men have to understand and the women have to understand if a man's doing the same thing just because they're dressing that way you can have the thoughts you can't mm-hmm. change the way people think no, no matter who tries right? to you gotta change it no that doesn't work but you can change the actions like yep. you know what think whatever you want go home and you know, yeah, yeah, he have, have a good time, uh. but you don't get to take an action just mm-hmm. because the way somebody is, uh, presenting themselves. Correct. Um, so yep. it, it's both of those things. Yep. All right, sir. So current events. I'm come on. What are we going to talk? Tell me. Okay. I'm getting my news for the Twitter. Where okay. do I need to get it? <laughs> so this is one of the things. And I, I know Katie spent some time talking about what was actually going on. And, and I could talk about what's going on in the world. We just yeah. had a, a, um, a meeting between our president and President Putin, and it's causing all sorts of stir about... Everybody's all worked up about yeah. it. Um, some mis- miscommunication happened, and it's just ridiculously oversimplified in the news. Okay. The biggest thing I recommend, and this is how I get my news, I listen to NPR and talk radio. Okay. So those both give me different sides of the same flavor or coin, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I listen to both, and I listen to the stories on both, and I know the truth is probably somewhere in between. Okay. If I was giving a recommendation for somebody to get involved with reading news and reading politics to start out, I always tend to send them to Real Clear Politics. Is that a website? It's a website. Okay. Real Clear Politics aggregates uh, news stories. So they'll have the same conversation. So let's just talk about this one with uh, between Putin and Trump. Mm-hmm. They'll have a... A very left-leaning article first, and then a very right-leaning article second. And sometimes they're very moderate, whatever it is. And you read both of them, and you know that somewhere in between is the truth. Okay. So that's... I always recommend people, if you're getting into politics, start with real clear politics. What if you're heavy right? Do you care to read the left side? You should. Okay, why? Because we don't. We get so tribal. We get... And this is... I see this on Facebook. We tend to think that... Our Facebook friends are a representation of the rest of the country. Yeah. And one of the reasons I don't allow politics in my classes, because I teach business, Mm -hmm. it has no role in it, is you, just because you think something and because all your friends on Facebook are spouting off one way or the other, you're not the majority, no matter what. Yeah, that's true. It's half the country disagrees with you on any given topic and half the country agrees with you. So we insulate ourselves. We get into this tribe, and social media is so horrible about this. It yeah. allows us to surround ourselves by like-thinking people, and that's what 
we have to uh, get away from. Yeah. And that's the problem with social media aggregation is it goes based on popularity versus on what's truth. Right. And what's going to catch the most clicks. Yeah. So I don't care if you're left wing, if you're right wing, you need to be reading the other side and you need to be open minded about Informed it. Informed decisions. Yeah. Informed opinions. Um, yeah. And being in academia, they're very lockstep mindset, regardless of them trying to argue that they're open minded. They're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's very, very telling. If you're not willing to have a conversation with the other side, if you're immediately going to start calling them libtard or call them uh, <laughs> some of the, the nasty comments, it, anytime you go to that, yeah, you've completely lost your, your position, your high horse. If you can't be critical of your own side, you have no credibility. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, I've seen that before. I don't, obviously I'm not having a lot of political conversations with anybody anytime, but I have seen even on Twitter or on, you know, on, I watch, uh, usually end up watching, what is it on Sunday morning? Um, I think it's not Lester Holt. Who is the guy? I can't think of his name, but it always ends up being kind of a table like panel of Mm -hmm. people and they're talking through different things and there's not name calling because it's on TV, but I mean, it does seem like you see, and I, I, did you see this thing about Whoopi Goldberg? Yes. She shut down. It's interesting to see both sides of the story and what each is accusing the other of doing. And the truth again is probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But I, what I thought of, I thought of that while you're talking because I'm thinking it seemed to me that when she got to the point of not being able, and I'm not saying anything Whoopi Goldberg one way or the other, I'm just saying as a general, it seemed like to me when she got to the point of not being able to argue the issues any further, she shut it down and she got very angry and, and it, the name calling started. Yeah, how sad is that? Yeah, that, it's like... That we can't we can't have a conversation. We, you, wanna, you want to have a conversation, or at least you say you do, mm-hmm. but really you don't because you don't want to hear the other side. Yeah. And that's... I. I try to stay open-minded. I'm guilty of it from time mm-hmm. to time as well. Um, but I think yeah. you can you can disagree with people. Yeah. That's okay. You don't have to. There doesn't have to be this mentality of, well, we don't agree. One, I have plenty of friends that I fundamentally like, disagree with on some of their fundamental lifestyle mm-hmm. moral choices. I'm still really good friends with them and spend a lot of time and talk to them and have good interactions and things. Just because I'm I disagree with those people about whatever blah xyz that doesn't mean that i'm calling them names or jumping on them or that we can't have a conversation about our kids or about even the news or politics we can and you can it's okay to say we agree to disagree which is i think cliche but i mean but it's true yeah i mean we have friends that are very opposite political spectrum of us and we know to stay away from those topics yeah because we can't have the civil discussion because it does denigrate into something it shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, Which is unfortunate. It is. That adults can't just, you know, you can disagree on your what sports team you cheer for, mm-hmm. you know. Which that obviously, that can get kind of nasty too, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. but why, can't, why can't we have conversations and, about politics or, you know, and, and then just well, disagree and it'd be okay. If we surround ourselves by the news sources that we think are unbiased mm-hmm. and, well, you know, the other side is clearly biased based on whatever because they disagree with me, yeah. then that's going to keep repeating or re, uh, reinforcing that, that whole mindset. Yeah. Well, I didn't read it on this source that I find credible and unbiased, so yeah. it can't be true. 
so that's why when I say if you're going to get involved in the news, you have to listen to both sides. Both sides, and, and, and then, yeah, kind of like you said, find the truth in the middle, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dan. I was not expecting to... I still feel like even when I stop recording this, I'm going to be thinking about what we've talked about, <laughs> which is, of course, the point. So good. But, I mean, I really appreciate you kind of shedding light on some topics that and some just uh, ideas and, and kind of uh, mentalities that I maybe... I don't think that I've ever really... Like, even... It's stupid, but it's so true. This whole He-Man Barbie thing. Like, I never... <laughs> I've obviously, the whole Barbie thing has been in the news and media a lot, <coughs> and I've never even thought of that. And I'm not a man, so that probably has something to do with it, but um, thank you so much for being, you know, I know, you're, I mean, you're not working, so you have plenty of time, so I'm just <laughs> <laughs> but coming out here and recording with us with me today, it's really been really so good. I'm so thankful to, to have it, and I hope for anyone that's listening, like, do exactly what I plan on doing. Think through these things and be aware. And when you see, you know, uh, Me Too or where you see women or you see men or you have these news stories that come on about sexual harassment and victims and victim shaming and things, I mean, really think through and kind of the same with the news. I mean, get both sides, get all of the information before you kind of align yourself with one particular side and kind of, you know, accept that the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. So any closing remarks? No, thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm glad I got the so chance. I'm so glad. It was so good. So thank you. I'll be back. Um, you can keep an eye on the uh, Facebook group page and then also feel free to send an email anytime and uh, I'll talk to you all the next time. Bye.